you remember what that night was like before Christmas as a child? Just sheer agony. Sunlight couldn't get there fast enough. I had the uh, advantage of having my room right outside of the attic uh, gate or ladder, which was where my parents hid our presents, and we all knew it, because one in the morning, we would hear the ladder, and the going up and down, the, and the banging of the boxes, and wrapper, and scissors, and oh, it's like they were trying to terrorize me as saying, go to bed, go to sleep. I'm hearing all this outside my room, I'm thinking, oh, what have they got? What are they bringing down? And it just... You know, you just couldn't sleep uh, because of the anticipation of some good stuff in the morning. Uh, it seemed like that morning never lasted long enough, you know. Um, <clears throat> ever wonder what happened to that anticipation, that hope? It seems like uh, as we get older, that becomes just a childhood memory and not something we ever live again. And because we enjoy that, that childhood memory, we want to pass it on, maybe to the harm of our own, uh, those who come after us, and, and want to see that anticipation, that, that excitement, that we, we want them to not sleep that night, though we tell them to sleep. Uh, we, we, there's something about that, and, and, we, and we ask, you know, how, what happened to that? And we find that a lot of times, hope... Anticipation had been replaced with cynicism in our life. And the best that we've got now is to see our child, our children, our grandchildren have that excitement. And that's why we bend over backwards and bankrupt ourselves. So we can see in our grandchildren, our children. Uh, I would just maybe present to you that, so read scripture, I, I think that we're not supposed to lose that. That anticipation, that excitement. And we think, well, Pastor, you're just, you're just blowing smoke up me now. I mean, that's just, you know, that's, there aren't things like that anymore to be excited about. And I, and I think that we've learned that. We've seen, okay, we get excited about these things now. They're never as, as good as what we were hoping for. We were building up and, and now nothing is there. And, and so that's why we have that cynicism. And I think cynicism is, is a result of having hope. And naive faith, hope and naive faith in things that do not warrant hope and faith, like people, like uh, events of this world, like birthdays, like, like presents, um, like marriage, like children. And you think, well, no, wait a second, are you saying that we're not supposed to have a hope and marriage? And, and children, I said, only if you want to be a cynic. Because it will never, never match what your heart was created to hope in. But I would say that there should be something in our life that would cause us to stay up at night in anticipation of. But it's not in these things I've mentioned. That it is in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Pastor, you must know something that I don't. Maybe. 
but it's not because it hasn't been told you. And in case you missed it, I want to tell you again by going to the book of Hebrews chapter 6. I want to talk about the importance of hope as given to us in this passage. It's interesting, as, as you, if you've been with us, you know last week if you're here, it was a doozy of a text, something maybe you're still trying to recover from. Uh, the challenge is simply as, as throughout the book, the author is saying, be careful, you're, be, uh, let me warn you, stay true to the faith, consider Jesus Christ, do not drift from the word, and, and that is the message throughout, and you come to chapter 5 and chapter 6, and he says, I, you know, there are some of you who've, who've experienced things of God, you've experienced things of Christ, and, and you've seen the good word, you've seen the work of the Holy Spirit, and you've, you've been even uh, a recipient of some of this work, but, but you have walked away from Christ and, and so consequently because you have fallen away there is no repentance for you and, and it is just a message of sober warning. It keeps us away from the thought of thinking that well you know the Bible does say that narrow is the gate that leads to salvation but we often forget the latter part where narrow is the way as well. We think oh I was just you know yeah, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. I'll come into the relationship with God through Christ. But then once doing that, I realize now because of forgiveness that there is license for me to do whatever I want. And so years later, once you've destroyed your life because of your own selfish impulses and following your pursuits, you realize, you know, maybe this wasn't a great idea. <laughs> no kidding. Jesus said, Come after me. Follow me. Not just an entrance of faith, but as you walk in faith. Not only is narrow is the gate, but narrow is the way. And the whole point of what we were trying to get to in, the, in this chapter was, you've got to trust in God. There is a daily sense of trusting and depending on God to save you from yourself. Now, following that up, the author is saying, let me give you some good news. I want to encourage you a little bit. Anything about time, Pastor. Well, so let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. And there is encouragement here. There is a, a, a good word here as well as the importance of hope. And so let us go to Hebrews chapter 6, starting with verse 9. And we'll go to the end of the chapter here. Let's stand as we read this together in honor of God's word. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. 
We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind, behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You may be seated. Remembered in Hebrews chapter 5, we kind of got into this little uh, discourse because he mentioned the word Melchizedek, and it, it began kind of a parenthesis of explanation for the audience. And now, as you see the reference to Melchizedek, it's letting you know, again, his, that little parenthesis coming to a close. In chapter 7, he's going to go on to explain Melchizedek and his role with Jesus Christ. Uh, so, uh, before we get to that point, though, there's some important things to bring out here. Notice, as we say in verse 9, he, after uh, talking about a, a land that has been cursed uh, because it only bore thorns and thistles, did not bear good fruit, he says, but you know what? I don't believe you're one of those. I, I hope and I believe better things about you. And this brings us back to the human perspective. God alone knows the hearts of the people around us. It is clear, as he writes this, that he thinks there's some who are professing their faith, but are not genuine followers of Christ. But he says, but I hope, I hope that's not true of you. I believe better things about you. God alone knows your heart. Uh, and that's one of the foundations of, of our faith in the church, is that the Lord alone knows our heart. And then let everyone who names the name of Christ, that we are to depart from iniquity. These are the two pillars uh, of uh, a community of, of faith. And so he says, I, I believe better things. Notice he says, beloved, Beloved, I love you. It is always good that if you're going to rebuke somebody, to do so in the sphere of love. In fact, I think that if you do not love that person, you greatly disqualify yourself in rebuking that person. Uh, and so we have the author doing that. He says, you need to know that you are loved ones. You're the ones whom I love. We feel sure of better things Things that belong to salvation. So this again tells me that all that had led up to this in chapter 6 uh, were not things that pertain to salvation. But now he's going to give some qualities that do pertain and identify someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. What are some of these things? Well, he says, look, I believe that God is not unjust. Verse 10. He is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake. All right. What is a quality, unmistakable quality of a follower of Jesus Christ? It is to do as they did, and that is the love for the sake of Christ. In other words, that the honor of God's name, the honor of the name of Jesus Christ, this character means so much to you because it's been through his name that you have salvation, that you love that name, you love Jesus, you love the person of God, that you will serve other people to display your love for Jesus Christ. And that is a quality, a mark of the believer. Jesus himself said the same in John 13, 34 and 35, that you will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so he says, God's not so unjust to overlook your work and the love that you show. Now, isn't that interesting? He uses the character trait of justice of God. I was thinking, you know, maybe the mercy of God would seem fitting here, uh, the grace being God's full of grace, that maybe that would be why he would remember our work of love. But he says it is the justice of God. How does the justice of God connect here? Well, it has something to do with why we're working in love. 
Why are we working love? What does the text say? Because of the name of God. The name of Christ. This brings in the justice of God. God understands that the best thing people can live for, can love and work toward and dedicate their life toward is the character of God himself. And God uh, treasures the fame of his name. It is the best that this world has. And so when he sees people giving their heart in love to Jesus Christ, it is the justice of God, it is the right thing for God to do to remember that work of love to God. All right? And so that's why he's bringing out the justice here. Uh, so not to overlook your work and the love that you should forsake in serving the saints as you still do. Listen, it is important for you to be in a community of faith. Why? Because it's how you worship. It is how you worship. In fact, if you're not in a community of faith, you have greatly handicapped your worship for God. What is the evidence here? He says, I know that you're a believer. I know that these things pertain, salvation belong to you because I see you in the community of faith loving others and, and displaying it by serving them. And you do so for the sake of Christ. We do not join this church because Green Pines is a good church. Do you understand that? We do not come here because, well, it's the best place to be in Nightdale. That's not why we come here. Why we join Green Pines Baptist is because there is a Savior who loves us and we have been so charmed by this one, by this person, this character of Jesus Christ. And that, you know what, I will even join up with a bunch of folks who are sinners and will probably injure me. And I don't care because I love Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? And not only will I join up with them, I'll serve them. I will encourage them. I will put their needs above my own. Do you understand the heart of what it means to be in a community of faith that has everything to do with Jesus Christ? Now, i got to go on. There's a lot more here. Um, verse 11. Now, just, just as you have done that, you've been earnest in showing your love for my sake by serving the saints. I want you to take that same desire, verse 11, each one of you, not just... The church as a whole, but each one of you individually put your name here and show that same earnestness, that that desire to do something. To have the full assurance of hope until the end. Wow. Take that same desire of love for God, of serving Him, and now direct it toward hope. You see, why is hope important? Hope gives evidence of our salvation. Hope gives evidence of our salvation. That's what he's bringing out here. I feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And so therefore you do this desire for love and, and love in God, take that same desire and now apply it to full assurance of hope. Now, what exactly is hope? We use hope a lot in different ways. Um, we could say, uh, I hope it stops raining. Okay. That's kind of like wishful thinking. Uh, we, we desire a, a better situation. But we do not necessarily have anything to base it on. All right, we just man, that'd be nice. Uh, sometimes we use it in a noun situation where we say Jesus is our hope. In other words, um, 
all that uh, that can bring a good outcome is found in a certain method or person, in this case, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that's that's one way of saying hope. But when the Bible talks about hope, it is not wishful thinking, but it is uh, certainty. It is confidence and certainty, not based on logic like uh, our mathematical certainty, like two plus two equals four. OK, uh, it is based in moral, moral logic. What do I mean by that? It is based in the character of God, not mathematical logic, but the character of God that gives us a reason to believe and a certainty to hope on of a better outcome in the future. And so he says, I want you to have that full assurance of hope. Now, let me just say to you that hope is a segment of faith. Faith is the big umbrella. Hope is a portion of faith. So you can understand where hope fits in here. Um, In fact, this idea, the full assurance of hope, we see this terminology found in Hebrews 10, verse 22. Uh, One other place there in Hebrews, just found there. And it says that instead of having the full assurance of hope, it is the full assurance of faith. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Then next it says, let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. We see a relationship in that uh, verse with hope and faith. Um, See, here's how it works. Hope is that part of faith that focuses on the future. Okay? When I take faith and apply it to the future, it looks like hope. It comes out as hope. Um, in fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us one of the closest to a definition of faith given in the Bible is, is there. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So, whenever faith in God looks to the future, it can be called hope, and whenever hope rests on the word of God, it can be called faith. Now, that's if you look at that, we could say, you know, the Bible says in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. You could also say, log, you know, logically taking that, by grace are you saved through hope. Okay? It, it, when you look at faith in the future sense, it, it comes out as hope. So we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by grace through hope. Uh, so we're gonna, it's important to hold on to hope because hope gives evidence of our salvation, and we do so to the end. It is a confident expectation, a desire for something good in the future. Uh, and so that's, that's what we're saying. It is based on moral certainty uh, on the character of God. Now, what do I mean by that? It is the characteristic, is the tendency of, the God, of our God who we serve and who we love to hold us to the end. All right. For example, we do this in a negative sense. Uh, we could say, well, yeah, you know, all things are possible, uh, yeah, but not all things are probable. For, for instance, is it possible for all the communists in the world to convert to Christianity this afternoon? Yes, it's possible. But I wouldn't hope in that. Why? Because the moral character of those in the Communist Party will not lend itself toward that. Um, you could say, well... I don't believe that there's going to be a deceptive word come out in the Christmas advertisement of the season. Okay, yes, that's possible. But it's not probable. It doesn't fit the character, all right? Uh, and so that's what we're talking about, moral character. And so it's important to know the character of those who are giving the promises. And that's why it's important to know who God is. 
to know who Jesus Christ is because he's the one giving out these promises. Now, uh, we go on and uh, think about Colossians 1.27. It says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the desired outcome that we're talking about? What is that good uh, good circumstance that we're looking toward? Well, the Bible says if uh, glory is chipping in and gives us the hope of glory, of the presence of God, what is it? It is this, Christ and us. According to God, that is the desired outcome. If he has hope, it is that Christ would be in us. Why? Because when the Spirit of Christ is in us, we are returned and reversing the curse. We are returning back to the original idea when God made mankind in his image. Alright? So that is what he's working toward. Christ in us. Now, why is it important to have hope? Well, we come to verse 12. Hope so that you may not be sluggish. You see that purpose? So that. Why is it important to have full assurance of hope? To have that realization of full assurance of hope? So that you may not be sluggish. Remember, this is this goes back to what he said. Having dull hearing. This is the opposite. What's the opposite of dull hearing? Is, is not to be sluggish. So what does this tell me? This tells me that hope energizes my obedience. That's why hope is important. It energizes my obedience. And so we see this and we read the word of God and it says, all right, uh, why should I believe this? Why should I obey this? Because I desire a better outcome in my life. I want to be like Christ. So consequently, that is my heart. That is my desire. When I read the word of God, I don't just Think, oh, that was nice and entertaining. He had a few good, good jokes in that one, good, good, some good stories. It was, you know, I paid attention. No, it is to say, I want to be like Christ, so I'm going to listen to this word that perhaps maybe it'll help me. And here's the help for you. Hope. Hope. One of the sad things about Christmas is, is that we realize that all those gifts really weren't all they were cracked up to be. And maybe it wasn't worth staying up at night. But I want to share with you, again, that anticipation is not wrong. It's just been misplaced. Take that anticipation and apply it to Jesus Christ so that you will be energized. You know, when you have a two-year-old, it means you have diapers. And when you have one coming in January, that means you're going to be twice in the... Diapers and all that's in it. <laughs> it's just, you know, and it, and so life's not always fun at the Scott household. Um, and I, every time I change a diaper, I do so with hope. <laughs> and I express my hope. I share it with Evan. What are you doing with the diaper, boy? You know, aren't you, aren't you ready to potty train? I mean, I, I mean, I changed my diaper thinking, this is one more diaper toward the end. <laughs> hopefully. Alright, hopefully. Now, sometimes there's families, they don't have that hope. Like, oh my goodness. How hard is it to change that diaper? You gotta change your hope. You gotta change your hope. See, I, I'm hoping that one day, I won't have to change his diapers, and, and maybe if I live long enough, <laughs> yeah, you know where that gets, don't you? <laughs> All right, 
Uh, if not him, he'll get someone to. <laughs> All right. And, and so that's our hope. We look for that. And that we, we long toward that. And it energizes. It makes me so I can change the diaper one more time. It, it, it is energy. See, and so when I look at this scripture, it tells me there's something I long toward that I can endure the stuff of this world, even the mess of my own heart, my own life, the things that frustrate me. And I think, God, is there any end? And the scripture tells me there is an end. You hope in Christ. One day your stubborn pride will be no more. One day your selfish pursuits will pass away. One day the rebellion that is in your heart will be no more. When you get frustrated with yourself, you go to the word of God and you hope in Christ. You hope in Christ. It energizes you. But not only does hope energize your obedience, but we read that we are to have full assurance of hope so that we may be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hope puts us in great company. Hope puts you in great company. Hope gives evidence of salvation. It energizes your obedience, but it puts you in great company. And he brings out in verse 13 specifically Abraham. He says, consider these who walked before us in the faith, they had hope in their life. I could share with you quote after quote of various folks uh, who lived by hope. Um, some wonderful, from wonderful quotes. Uh, Thomas Fuller said, "If it were not for hope, the heart would break." Pearl Buck said, "To eat bread without hope is still slowly to starve to death." Uh, we go on to see Winston Churchill that said, "The message of dawn is hope." J.L. Jones says you cannot put great hope into a small soul. Martin Luther King Jr. said we must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. We see these, uh, and we go to Thomas Edison, when, when down in the mouth, remember Jonah, he came out all right. There was the hope that are in these individuals in our life, but consider Abraham as the text asks us to do. You see in verse 13, God made a promise uh, to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now he's talking about the, the promise given to Abraham, first in Genesis chapter 12, then we see it repeated in Genesis chapter 15, then repeated in, in Genesis uh, chapter 17, Genesis chapter 18. What was the promise? He said, In you will come uh, one, uh, will come a nation from your seed. There will be kings that will come from you. There will be land that will be given to you. And in you will be a blessing to the nations. And so we come to Genesis 22 after uh, Isaac, the, the promised son, had been born. And God asked him, sacrifice your son Isaac. And, and so he, do, or he goes and, and obeys, does not kill Isaac because God stops him. But after seeing this test of obedience and faith, God in Genesis chapter 22, then verses 15 through 18, gives him once again the promise, but then he does so with an oath. Let me read to you quickly. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So the author brings out, consider Abraham. Verse 16. He swore, for by people swear by something greater themselves, and all their disputes and oath is final for confirmation. 
Most people swear because they need to have affirmation that what they're saying is true. But God does not lie. He does not need to swear. Why did he swear? It was for our benefit, as Hebrews brings out in just a little bit. It wasn't because of a question of his truth, but it's because humans use that to speak to the validity of what they're saying. So God uses the language that we use and says, well, you know what? Let me find something greater to swear by. Can I swear by the angels? No, that's that's belittling the the promise I've already made. Should I swear by the stars? No, that's belittling uh, what I've I've already made. Uh, And he looked the world over and he said, you know what? There's nothing that is greater than me and then what I've already said. So all I can do is swear by myself. There is nothing greater. Let me assure you that what I tell you is true. Now remember when God said that to Abraham, Genesis 22, Isaac was already there. But not all the promises have been fulfilled yet. They were not yet in the land. There were not yet uh, kings. There was not yet a nation from them. And there was not yet the evidence that all the nations would be blessed through him. He was hoping in things not yet seen. Why is it important to have Christmas morning? Let me tell you, read some scriptures to you. Why is it important? Well, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, verse 32, tells us about a man named Simeon who waited all his life for what the Bible says, the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And verse 26 had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought, parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. What was he saying? He said, I have waited my whole life. The Spirit of God has allowed me to see this baby. And this baby is the fulfillment of the promise God gave to Abraham. All the way back. Because in him will be a blessing to all the nations. That's why Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 and 3. You have the nations coming to the birth of Jesus. And the wise men. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the jews for we've seen his star when it rose and come to worship him why was that important because it was fulfillment of genesis chapter 22 chapter 15 chapter 17 chapter 12 when god said in your line all the nations will be blessed and so consequently the nations do come to see jesus the king born the king born now verse 17 So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Why is it important to have hope? Hope, well, gives evidence of our salvation. It energizes us in obedience. It puts us in great company. But as we keep on reading in this passage, it lets us know that hope reflects our great God. It reflects our great God. Notice how God has not only told you but then he's given an oath by himself by two unchangeable things. One, his word, and then the oath to his word that these things will be true, that there is a promise that holds true to you. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. Why did God give an oath when he didn't need it? So that we would have strong encouragement. Now, that phrase, we who have fled for refuge... You need a little Old Testament history here. 
Exodus chapter 21, God gave provision for anyone, verses 12 through 14, anyone who was guilty of murder, whether by accident or intentional, to go to something called a place of refuge. Later on, we find in Numbers that there were cities given to this purpose, city of refuge, so that they could not be avenged by the relatives. They would quickly go to the city and place of refuge, one of which was the horn of the altars by which they would hold on to. And, and as long as they were in that place, they could not be killed until justice had been executed. Isn't that interesting? We might have strong encouragement. Those of us who have fled for refuge, there is an understanding that we are guilty before God in the courts of God of great injustice, of great sin, and that there is a justice that must be meted out. And though we we see that, we do not want to be part of that. We do not want to have the penalty of our sin placed upon us. So we're looking for a place of refuge. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the city of refuge refuge and we hold on to the horns of the altar uh, there just like uh, Adoniah did we find that when Solomon was out to get him he held on to the horns of the altar he says as long as I'm here you cannot kill me we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement why is it important for us to have hope because it tells of our great God if we live without hope then we are saying that God is not true to his word. It is part of obedience, it is a part of faith, it is part of worship to live with hope. Do not fall trap into the way of thinking that, well, as long as I don't have great expectations, I don't have great disappointment. As we read this passage, it seems that believers ought to be people of hope, not in wishful thinking, not in necessarily the desired circumstantial uh, outcomes here, but in a God who can work in these things. Now, we come to verse 19. Hope reflects a great Savior. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. What is this, this talking to in verse 19? The this in reference is the hope in verse 18 set before us the hope that is set before us and that is our anchor we have a new image uh it reminds us of hebrew 2 1 that we should not drift away from jesus that this anchor holds us uh to god it holds us to salvation and we find that this anchor we see in verse 19 enters the inner place behind the curtain remember that tabernacle system the most holy place separated by the veil the bible is saying that our anchor goes all the way into the very presence of god And the very presence of God is where our anchor is, and it attaches to us. Who is this anchor? Verse 20, it is Jesus Christ who has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. I had to tell you, I got a little excited when I read that phrase. Jesus is the forerunner on our behalf. Forerunner to where? Forerunner to the most holy place in the heavenlies, uh, in the presence of God. What does it mean that he's a forerunner? Someone's coming behind him. Someone's coming behind him. I am following him. And he's there already on my behalf. Some of you, you know, you're always kind of scared to go to new places because you don't know anyone there. Well, you think, well, imagine the Holy Holies. (laughs) But guess what? Jesus is there. He says, come sit beside me right here. I'm already here and I'm here on your behalf and the heavenlies and the the presence of God. 
God, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, let me just talk a little bit more about this. I'm talking about hope, but what is it, this desired uncome that I keep talking about? What is it that we're longing for? First John chapter 3, verse 1 and 10, I think is instructive at this point. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are children, God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Remember Christ in you, the hope of glory. God is working in you to restore back to the original design to be in the image of Christ. The Bible says that it will happen. We will be in the image of Christ. When we see God, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now notice verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one abides in him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. By the reason, by the way, that's a reason for Christmas. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Because in Christ's coming, destroys the works of the devil. Uh, then we keep on. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident we who are the children of God and we who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. What does that mean? If I know that I'm going to be like Christ, it becomes my number one goal. My number one goal is to have the same goal that God has for me, and that is to be like Christ. And I know one day there's going to be a great revelation in where I will see him and I will be like him. And because I have that hope to be restored back to the image of Christ, I will purify myself. I will set aside things that lead me astray. And the evidence that I have that hope is that I forsake and turn and I mourn Sin that keeps me from being in the image of Christ. That's why he says those who keep on sinning, how can the love of the Father be in them? Because they don't have that hope. Now, let me just come to a little realization here. Those of you who have gone through physical suffering, emotional suffering, you understand the importance of hope. You know that. Uh, I, I remember some difficult days and I was thinking, you know, I don't want to be bitter I don't want to go that direction. I want to still see joy in my life. I still want to experience peace in my life. We want joy and we want peace. And so we will cling to some promises of God. I believe certain things that when no matter what happens in my life, that God will work it in my life to make me more like Christ. I believe that whatever comes, God will use it to make me more like Christ. And I held on to that, and it gave me hope, it gave me strength and peace when I was dealing with a physical adversity, emotional adversity in our family. And I thought, well, how come 
I don't have that hope when I don't see physical suffering. When I don't have emotional suffering. How is it that when I'm dealing with gossip, I'm not so quick to turn away? When I'm dealing with thoughts of pride and self-importance, lying, greed, lust, how come it doesn't always translate in these areas? Here's the problem. We like it. Remember what hope is, is having a desire for a better outcome, a better situation. Why do we not have hope? Because we found, we found a desired outcome. Why is it that happens? Because we've lost sight of Christ. And we have been deceived in thinking that this way of living is a good way of living and it will satisfy us. And we see those who are in addictions or the alcohol or other things like that. I think, well, you know, I'll stop before I get there. We are addictive personalities. Every single one of us. It's just what we're going to be addicted to. And when time is measured to those things that we're trying to find of satisfaction in our hearts and pursuits. When 5, 10, 15, 20 years pass, are you still finding the satisfaction in that? Oftentimes you'll find, you know what, this is a terrible thing. And now I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to get out of this. Hope in God. Hope in Christ. I pray that you will be miserable. I pray that I'll be miserable if we are desiring anything outside of Christ. When you're dealing with the possible death of a loved one, will you find strength in the fact that God can use this to transform you into his image? That's a real test right there. But it is a test that you'll probably be given. And what scripture says, it is worth more to be transformed into the image of Christ than to enjoy the fellowship of a loved one for a few more years. That's a hard switch, isn't it? But it's only hard because our heart is so entangled. I will assure you that you will love them better if your greater goal is to be like Christ. One of the things I realized that it, though if my wife was to die, God would make me a better follower of Christ, a better minister of his word. And I had to ask myself, was that a, was that a good trade? I'm not going to say it's a happy trade. So let me ask you, I think, you know, how come I was able to apply that to that? But now, when I'm dealing with things that I, that, to be honest, I like. Sometimes I like gossiping. Sometimes I like 
uh, feeling prideful. I like being the center of attention. What's demanded here as a full-out surrender and a belief about what God says about that, that that will lead me to a devastation that cannot be recovered from. Do I believe God? Philippians 3.12, Paul said, I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. It is as if God is laying claims on my very soul, on my heart. He says, I forgive you of your sin. I lay claim to you. You are mine. And so it is to prompt us and reciprocating to Jesus, to God. God, you're mine. You're my anchor. You are my Savior. You are my King. I will not let go of you. You will not let go of me. And I will reciprocate that which you're holding on to me. And I will make you my hope. Though my children I bury. Though my spouse I see therein. Though my job would fail me. Though my body would deteriorate. Yet my heart keeps beating. Though he slay me, still, still, I will trust in you. Because you are my hope. This world will pass away and the desires thereof, but God give me the love of the Father in me. Hope is important. Hope. It reflects a great Savior. When folks ask, how is it that you have hope? You can say, I've got a great Savior. Let me tell you about Him. He has redeemed me. And He will, I believe, to the bottom of my soul, redeem this miserable situation that I'm in. And this miserable world that we're in. I have a great Savior. Why do I have hope? Because I have a great God who is true to His Word. He will not Fell me in his word. Though I do not understand it, I do not see the sense of it, I hope. And I believe that it will. Because I know his character. Hope puts us in great company. Hope energizes our obedience. And hope gives evidence of our salvation. Let's pray.